Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell. Here's my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie. What's going on? What's the story? What's the haps? How's it going? It's going good. I have a new pet. I have a new pet. I heard. Tell tell us about the pet, Marie. So I'm going to solicit our listeners' advice on naming said pet. So I was leaving the house today, and I live in California. It's very, very smoky, and the air quality is very, very bad. And I look over on a plant, and there is a two-inch praying mantis sitting on the sitting on the plant. So I come back; it's still just kind of hanging out there. And so, what is my natural instinct? I'm like, let's go find a glass jar and capture it, which is really says a lot about me and sort of where my headspace is at. But to to my credit, I did put together a very lovely terrarium. It is well stocked with soil and a water source and greenery and i was able to get this little foreign alien body um we don't know if it's a boy or a girl don't really know i don't know if that's going to be very easy to find out either i don't know i don't know so um i have i have i'm just referring to it as a her for right now i guess i have her in this terrarium she's a little bit peeved she's hanging out on the ceiling of the terrarium and um yeah, so I figured, hey, you know what, dear listeners, first of all, if you have any <laughs> any advice on what to feed them, I have some bugs and stuff in there and I've got some like like larvae or some like some eggs from, you know, plants that I've found around. Um, but if you have any advice on what to feed them, fire up. If you think I should just let her go, I'm more than happy to, but I, again, I'm just, you know, it's it's getting very cold here as well, so I figured I would just bring her inside. Um, and then a name. A name so I can like, you know, begin to refer to her and by her call her by her name. Give her an entire an entire reason detra, if you will. So I just started looking this up. So mm-hmm. uh male mm-hmm. uh male female praying mantises have eight mm-hmm. um abdominal segments, okay. while females have six. Mm. And the final fe- the final segment of the female is much larger than the others, while the male has several smaller segments towards the mm. end of the abdomen. Mm. So you have to look at the underside of the mantis. I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but <laughs> you can see um, you can see what side it is. But it might not be it might not be fully male or female yet, or it might not not fully male or female. It may not be fully grown yet. To see the differences in the, in right. the abdomen, sections. right, right, right. But you, but and there is some sexual dimorphism too. Um, and like the way that they look and stuff too on certain, in certain ones, I'm assuming it's a green one. It's green, but it has a lovely pinkish hue to it. A pinkish hue, huh? Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I would look it up. I mean, it's really interesting. They're, uh, you know, primarily. So basically you're telling me just do some research, dude, before you go trapping bugs and bringing well, them <laughs> hostage into your house. Why don't you see if you can even sustain it's, you know, if it's just going to croak. Before you just you know put it in a glass jar. So you brute. It says it says uh, <laughs> they eat. Uh, they primarily eat uh, other bugs, mm-hmm. and they also um, Check. they also will actually stop eating before they molt about a couple mm-hmm. days before, and then they'll eat mm-hmm. afterwards. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it takes four to six months to reach maturity, and then it'll live for another three to eight months. That's uh, that's a pretty healthy. Um, 
That's a pretty healthy lifespan for a bug. Yeah. When keeping Isn't the mantis it? relatively cool and not feeding it a lot, its lifespan can be greatly increased. Well, there you go. Interesting. But it's like, it's really cold out. And it's like, again, like, I don't think the air quality necessarily is affecting it too much. No, but, I, don't, I don't know if it matters. But I mean, come on. I mean, I was, I was just like, it was just sitting there. And I'm like, you poor thing. First of all, the bird is going to, some bird is going to get you. Because we have like morning doves that live right, they're nesting really close to it. And I'm like, you're just going to get picked off. And I, I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, the, the cat's getting too big to cuddle. So maybe let's try this. <laughs> Interesting. Good stuff. Good stuff, Marie. Well, that's a so lot yes, of fun. A name. Tweet at anyway. us with a name. <laughs> Anyways, to, on today's <laughs> episode of the Mad Scientist Podcast, we are going to be kicking off this season of episodes by discussing something that I have a lot of love for. Marie, I know you are also really interested in it. And I actually I think it might I don't I want to give any spoilers here. We are talking today about the search for pieces of extraterrestrial craft. Space junk. Space junk from UFOs crash landed on Earth or otherwise mm -hmm. that supposedly some people claim to have found, but it's just not a whole lot of evidence. So we're going to dig into that this episode. So uh, listeners, prepare yourselves. It's Project Adam and To The Stars Academy here on the Mad Scientist Podcast. First off, for the listeners that don't know, mm -hmm. there are uh, there's a group now currently existing that's called uh, To the Stars Academy of Earth, You're saying of, of it wrong. Arts and Sciences. To the Stars <laughs> Academy of Sorry. Arts and Sciences. To the Stars. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, also known as TTSA, is essentially a UFO research group. And me I mean, OK, it is a media conglomerate and mm -hmm. kind of sort of UFO research group set up by Tom DeLonge of uh, of uh, fame from Angels and Airways and, and probably most well known from Blink-182. Mm -hmm. um, now, their group is... Their group was started by um, started by Mr. DeLong himself, Jim Semivan and Dr. Hal Pudoff. Is that now, it really quick? Is that how we're going to refer to him for the rest of the episode is Mr. DeLong? I, yeah, I guess. Tom. Dope. No, I like Mr. DeLong. Mr. DeLong sounds it good. Gives him, it gives him a gravitas. Yeah. So uh, Jim Semivan is um, this is from the To The Stars website Academy uh, to the Stars Academy website which is dpo.tothestarsacademy.com. So Jim, Jim Semivan is the vice president of operations, the co-founder and vice president operations of TTS Academy. In 2007, Mr. Semivan founded the consulting firm Jim Sem One LLC after his retirement as a senior intelligence service member of the Central Intelligence Agency. Um, since retirement, Mr. Semivan primarily worked as a consultant for the intelligence community IC, on classified topics, including IC leadership training, CIA tradecraft training, and IC programs for countering weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Mr. Semivan retired from the CIA agency's Directorate of Operations after 25 years as an operations officer, both overseas and domestically. Um, 
He holds bachelor's degrees from the Ohio State University and a master's of arts from San Francisco State University. And then the other uh, person that started this company with uh, with Tom DeLonge is Dr. Hal Pudoff, the vice president of science and technology. So again, Dr. Harold E. Pudoff is the co-founder and vice president of science and technology of TTS Academy. Since 1985, Dr. Pudoff has served as a president and CEO of EarthTech International, Inc., and director of the Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin. He has published numerous papers on electron beam devices, lasers, and space propulsion, and has patents issued in the laser communications and energy fields. Dr. Pudoff's professional background spans more than five decades of research at General Electric, Sperry, the National Security Agency, Stanford University, and SRR International. Dr. Putoff regularly advises NASA, the Department of Defense, and intelligence communities, corporations, and foundations on leading-edge technologies and future technology trends. He earned his Ph.D. from Stanford University in 1967 and won a Who's Who Lifetime Achievement in 2017 that recognizes individuals that have achieved greatness in their industry and have excelled in their field for at least 20 years. Now, that all sounds super impressive. It, well, I... Putoff is relatively like Until, he's got, well, he's, he has a learned background. We can okay. say that, right? Okay. He has a learned background and has a breadth and scope of experience that is um, commendable. But here's here's the thing, right? Uh-huh. Just if you're listening to the show, you already know this. Just because you have a PhD <laughs> does not mean your opinion is worth a damn near anything. Right. Just because just because you are a a member of the sciences does not mean, you know, anything worth talking about. You could be hosting some rinky dinky podcast. Seriously, it's ridiculous. Sorts of junk. Now, I mean, really, you got to be careful out there, people. You got. So here's the thing. A a lot of co-host who just is on for the fart jokes. (laughs) (laughs) The rooms, the people out there. Oh, my goodness. Doctor, oh. Doctor Cox, I'll tell you. God, God bless him for making me feel important. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, um, here's the thing with this company, right? So it it mm-hmm. sounds really good on the surface, and mm-hmm. honestly, when the company first was founded, and the and the announcements were made, I was super excited. I was very hopeful, and it started off with uh, it started off with a bang. Really, it started off with Luis Elizondo. Um, going on CNN as a consultant for To The Stars, discussing how he was part of this government program that was looking for UFOs, essentially. Yeah, which and, was a and big really, deal. The New York Times story deal. was a huge deal. Still a tremendously huge deal. Yes. Now, here is the issue. I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the public's view on To The Stars is, uh, is kind of mired, I guess, or kind of, Tinted, I suppose, through the lens of the uh, kind of the lab coat fallacy, mm. where just because someone has a fancy title, you assume that they are capable and smart. And that's not to say these people aren't capable or smart, but when you start to dig into some of this stuff, it it falls apart really quickly. Mm. Now, Jim Semivan, right? So, for instance, he's he's probably the one whose background I have the least handle on, ultimately. Mm-hmm. However, I will say, if the recent, I don't know, 25 to 30 years of politics is any indication, it doesn't take a tremendous amount to be part of the government. Don't exactly have to be cream of the crop. 
So, you know, the fact that this, like the fact that this guy was in the government for 20 years to me, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really impressive. I don't know if it seemed, it doesn't seem to be all that hard now. Well, there's all sorts of, you know, strata quote unquote being in the government. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of government workers. There's all sorts of career professionals that span different capabilities. And just like, just like any field, there's people that are better at what they do than others. Well, absolutely. And so that's, yeah. and so that's the thing here, right? I bet, yeah. I bet Mr. Semivan is very capable in terms of intelligence gathering and in terms of counterterrorism and defense and all the things that he was a part of in the CIA. I'm just not sure he should be reverse engineering alien technology. Well, and I think it's also, or I don't know if he can. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can. I don't know if I can. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's not sell ourselves too short here, buddy. I mean, go you're a doctor. But I will say that the CIA, I think what's hard about as soon as you invoke the company, then, you know, you don't, that's, it's the black box, right? You you can only assume that, one, if you worked for the CIA, you must be, you know, very intelligent, very, you know, capable and because there's no other way of proving anything different unless it's declassified or, you know, it's up on uh, the FISA, FISA, the uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act website. So there's no way of knowing any different. Right. Right. It, it, right. it goes into a black That's box. the Trump card. That's the major Trump card is they work for the CIA. And everyone's like, whoa, like we have company. We have people at my company that worked for the CIA. I have been in meetings with these people. And I'm like, did you? Like, were you in charge of restocking the creamer? Right. In Not the, that that's an important job. Now, <laughs> so here's a, the one the one person that there really is a lot of info on is, mm -hmm. is Hal Pudoff. Now, mm -hmm. Again, not to speak ill of someone I've never spoken to, Mr. Pudoff. He seems like he's a you know sweet man. He seems totally. He fine. has glasses. Has glasses. Mm -hmm. But a lot. If we start to pick apart some of these things that are on this, even on the To the Stars website, things start to get a little bit questionable. Uh, now, God. all right. Let what what did you pick apart first? Okay, so first off, he is he lists here that he is the director of the Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin. Now. Mm -hmm. Anybody in the academic fields of any of any description or anyone who's really been following science for the last hundred years or so um, has heard of the Institute for Advanced Study. Now, the Institute for Advanced Study is a, uh, a think tank, essentially, in Princeton, New mm -hmm. Jersey. It is an independent postdoctoral research center that was it's basically funded by philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is uh, it was where Albert Einstein worked. It is where John von Neumann worked, where uh, Kurt Gödel worked. Um, mm -hmm. It is it, it is in, it just in, intensely important, right? In mm -hmm. terms of science, it's it's it has had a lot of very important people uh, work for it, right? Now, the center or the Institute for Advanced Study is not the same though as the Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin. It's a plural. It's got to be better. Now, the Institute for Advanced Studies <laughs> was founded by Dr. Pudoff himself as essentially <sighs> what appears to be just kind of an, <sighs> another kind of research think tank. But this is this, in my mind, is akin to, you know, Marie, we could start a gas station and call it the Massachusetts Institute of Technology gas station <laughs> right <laughs> we, could start, we could start our own thing tank and call it brooklings 
Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you yeah. know, so that's that's oh, very questionable. Man. Now, it's the, not a half bad idea. Now, the either. other very questionable thing here is the inclusion of a who's who lifetime achievement award. Now. At, I'm sure all of our listeners have gotten this kind of thing in the mail. If you went to college of any sort, your parents probably got a uh, a mailer that said your your kid has been chosen for the who's who of high school students or the who's who of of uh, whatever or the who's who of oh, scientists yeah. right mm-hmm. it is a, a intensely well-known scam and so it's uh it's, it's very it's very worrying that that's on his official resume yeah yeah i will yes yes what else? Right. So that's good. That's very, that's very interesting. Now, um, here's the thing, right? The, the who's who lifetime achievement is, uh, uh, who's who roster of prestigious lifetime achievement inductees. Um, it's, I, I can't tell what it is. I think it's just a way to trick old people. Um, it appears. I don't, I really, I really don't know what it is. Right. Um, it, yeah, I it, think it's like, it's it, just like a big, it's almost like, it's almost got the same antiquated notion as a, as a printed dictionary or an encyclopedia. Yeah. It, it appears that this is, it is a website, www.lifetimeachievement.com. Um, some very nice headshots, I guess, but it seems to be in a, seems to essentially be a random assortment of people, um, who were tricked. Now, um, the other thing that Dr. Hal Pudoff is really well known mm-hmm. for is his work with uh, Yuri Geller. Oh, Lord. Now, uh, Pudoff's work was essentially um, was essentially through Stanford University when he did serious physics work. And his work on uh, quantum electronics is considered still, um, you know, completely valid, right? It's, it's totally mm-hmm. legitimate work. Now, um, he though became very interested in the church of Scientology in the sixties became OT. So operating heat in level six or seven, sorry, by Ouch. 71. Ouch. Um, and why during, isn't that? So why isn't that on his bio? Yeah. So during that time, what? Um, you know, yeah. Okay. No, I mean, absolutely. Right. So during that yeah. time, he yeah. said that he was able to uh, perform remote viewing. He, um, said that he was able to do all these kind of interesting things. And so then with Russell Targ, um, worked for a CIA slash GIA program, um, at, uh, the SRI international, um, headquarters to do, uh, what was known as Stargate, the Stargate project, part of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, specifically what that is, is it is a, uh, the, the, the testing through the CIA to see if, if Mr. Yuri Geller, Ingo Swan, um, Pat Rice or Joseph McMonigal um, had the ability to uh, tell the future or, or were they psychic or whatever. Right. Um, now it has since been found that that, that study was uh, fraudulent that Mr. Geller um, used sleight of hand. And also, what? also that uh, there seems to be some indication that Mr. Targ and Putoff unfortunately may have been giving un to give them the benefit benefit of the doubt, we're giving them un 
unintentional clues or hints as to what the right. answers were. They were he was being they were being read. Yeah. Oh. Um now Geller. Uh, yeah. Uh now he uh he then in 85 uh, founded Earth Tech International, which is his for-profit company, mm-hmm. and then also created the Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin, um, which has no affiliation with the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. Singular. Um, now, uh, what does Earth Tech do? Earth Tech does, uh, I don't know, essentially nothing, I think. They just study kind of since, uh, simple materials. Earth Tech? However, right. now, this is... Um, this is straight from the uh what's the word um his, one of his patents is used as a case study for patent law um a, it's called a case study of inoperable inventions why is the uspto patent pseudoscience or why is the us patent office patenting pseudoscience oh god um, so uh, quite interesting now um this is uh, from that uh the from that article now this article is uh, this article is it's quite dense, but it's by Daniel C. Rislov uh, from the University of Wisconsin Law School. Now uh, it says D. The Putoff Patent. After years of legal wrangling, the USPTO awarded Harold E. Putoff a patent entitled "Communication Method and Apparatus with Signals Comprising Scalar and Vector Potentials Without Electromagnetic Fields" in 1998. The Board of Patent Appeals and Interferences heard the appeal of his final rejection in '97 and ultimately reversed all rejections. The brief, unpublished opinion illustrates many of the difficulties examiners often encounter when confronted with extremely complex scientific concepts. At first glance, the claims of the invention appear too fantastic to be believed. The inventor claims that the device is an electric communication method and apparatus that does not rely on magnetic, electric, or electromagnetic fields, but employs structures resembling those capable of generating magnetic and electric fields. The patent application also claims to provide a receiver that is shielded from electromagnetic, electric, and magnetic signals, but which is capable of receiving signals. In short, the inventor claims that the device is able to transmit information into an electromagnetically shielded enclosure without using electromagnetic fields. Um, so totally plausible. Yeah. <laughs> really quick. So, uh, I will say the one thing that is of interest from uh, Earth Tech is Earth Tech. So yes, founded by by Dr. Putoff, his chief science officer is Eric Davis. Does that yes. name? Does that? Yeah, that name should ring any any bells for anybody who's a fan of of a uh, fan or a follower of um, a, a small ranch in Utah. Right? Yeah. It's the same Davis. Who is who is pretty who is not I don't know when it's been like it's been a couple well it hasn't been a couple it's been like a year since I've done any kind of research on 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 uh on on Skinwalker but he was when he was there he was fairly above board. Now we're going to get into it Marie. Oh my god. Now here oh, is uh okay. did he, I just did I just jump the shark You did jump the shark a little this? bit. It's okay. God. It's okay. Now Jake, just take that entire thing out. <laughs> I will say, if nothing else, you guys need to go to earthtech.org and just take a look at their background because they have, who are we? And they have like, the best thing ever is the background. So whenever, you know, if you're checking out like any kind of major industry website, 
you should always see what's in the background behind these people that are the CEOs or whatever, because it's going to tell you so much more than their picture, really. And the background on Dr. Putoff is crazy ass hysterical. It's just like, it's like this psychotropic nightscape vision, you know, and it's like got, it's got, you know, stars and moons and and clouds and then everybody else has a bookcase behind them so now this is <laughs> yeah it's like no, it's crazy. crazy now Sorry. this is this is from the same the same legal thing so mm-hmm. essentially what Pudoff's patent is used for is an example of a case where although the uh, although the underlying science itself uh, is indistinguishable from pseudoscience um, mm-hmm. The lawyer has to treat it as plausible because of the person's background. Now, this is uh, from note 263 and 264 of this. So um, an extensive search of the relevant literature reveals that Putoff is alone in studying the remarkable effect described in his patent. This suggests perhaps that the experts in the field may find it implausible. And then uh, 264, although an expert physicist and engineer Putoff is recognized in many circles because of his penchant for dabbling in unorthodox scientific endeavors. In addition to being a believer in harnessing zero-point energy for space travel, he also co-authored a positive article about controversial, self-proclaimed psychic Yuri Geller in the prestigious journal Nature. Russell Targan Harold Putoff, and then he gives the name. It is possible that the examiner was aware of Putoff's reputation and became more willing to treat the patent application as nonsensical rather than overly complex, but there is no evidence that this actually happened. Uh, end quote. Now, it's extremely interesting. So um, here's the thing, right? A lot of the things that Pudoff describes, uh, a lot of it is pseudoscience, unfortunately. Now, on the other hand, a lot of it is is actually legitimately at the cutting edge of physics. Um, now, the problem with that is that it's on the wrong side of the cutting edge of physics. And what I mean by that is for zero point energy to work, for example. Um, so for the listeners that don't know, zero point energy mm-hmm. essentially is the idea that in a. So, OK, Marie, temperature, yeah, right? For, for all you listeners out there that don't know. OK, temperature, <laughs> <And> your host, <laughs> temperature, right? Yes. Uh-huh. OK, how would you yeah. describe temperature? By degrees. <laughs> OK, wow, we're right? doing great. It's warmer. Okay. It's colder. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. On a molecular scale, what do you think is happening when, like, let's say we we have a a thing of gas, right? We have a thing full of gas, like a container full of gas. Mm -hmm. When you heat that container up, what happens to the gas molecules? They expand. That is true, but what else? So they're expanding. They heat up. They heat up and expand? They're expanding. So what physically is happening to the gas molecules then? Dude, humanities major. I have what? Okay, come on. I want you to have a thought experiment with me, oh. then, right? All right, all right, all right. Okay. All right. Temperature the, yes. is yes. all that temperature is is a measure mm-hmm. of the relative kinetic energy of all of the gas molecules in a container. Or work, right? Am I remembering uh, that? Correctly? Sort, yeah, sort of, kind of. You're, yeah, you're okay. very. You're, that's that's similar to what work also does. But uh-huh, so. Uh-huh. As you raise the temperature, essentially, the gas molecules start to go faster and faster. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so the reason that the gas expands is that there's literally more motion in the gas molecules. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So as Mm -hmm. things get colder then, what happens is they slow down more and more. 
Mm-hmm. Now, at, or they constrict, right? Right. Constricting. Well, well, they stop moving, and so then they start to be able to get closer and closer to each other without without colliding. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. as you hit absolute zero, so the point where there should be absolutely no, so zero degrees Kelvin is considered absolute zero. At that temperature, what we expect is that gas molecules should have no motion at all. Okay. Okay, because there's no, there mm-hmm. is no average kinetic energy. They're just not moving. What we actually find, though, is that there are odd effects that we see where, for instance, uh, molecules appear to still move even as we approach zero Kelvin. And we, we couldn't really explain it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the way that we have since come to explain it is using quantum mechanics. Right? So uh, you can't simultaneously know the position or velocity of a, of a molecule. Um, so if it's at zero meters per second, if it's moving at zero meters per second, by definition, it's zero Kelvin, then we break one of those fundamental laws of nature. And so that can't yeah. happen. So instead, things start to move randomly. It has Brownian motion. Okay. Now, what Pudoff is suggesting, and Pudoff's not the only one. There are other scientists that do zero-point energy kind of work. What they are Mm -hmm. suggesting is that the energy for this Brownian motion, the energy that exists past, basically that they're saying that quantum mechanics is wrong. There is no explanation for that. The explanation that must exist is that there is energy being transmitted to those gas molecules from somewhere else. Like where? The zero point field is what they call it. Yeah, you know, and even so, for humanities major, I think that's stretching it. And so here's the thing, right? The zero mm-hmm. point field is a little bit more complicated than that. What they essentially describe is another way that you can get to zero Kelvin in a, in a given volume is by mm-hmm. removing all of the gas molecules from it. So imagine you had a container that was at a perfect vacuum. There was absolutely no molecule in there, mm-hmm. right? That's another mm-hmm. case where weird things seem to still occur. And so their explanation essentially is there is an, a, a hitherto unknown energy source in the universe that exists at the zero point. Yeah. Now, here's the problem with that. If that is true, right? Mm-hmm. By definition, we say that at zero Kelvin, the entropy of a system has to be zero because the temperature okay. is zero. There's no there's motion. Nothing, yeah. There's nothing to borrow from to get it, to get right? you there. There's nothing, yeah. there's, there's nothing right. So uh, there's no entropy at that point. Right. But if there's one thing we should know about entropy, it is that entropy of the entropy of a system always has to be of the universe. Rather always is increasing. Right. If that's the second law of thermodynamics, if entropy is going down in a process, you are breaking the law, the second law of thermodynamics, and you essentially have a perpetual motion machine. Oh, because you're so you're efficient. How Pudoff discovered a perpetual motion machine. Well, what, is what he you're is, saying, what he and his, his what he and his co-authors and, and other people are positing Groupies. is is essentially a, yeah a a perpetual motion machine because there's there is no efficiency you could essentially keep pulling energy from the zero point without any energy going into it so there's no trade-off the energy isn't moving it's coming from an unseen reservoir 
um, randomly. Because by definition, at zero degrees Kelvin, there is no energy to pull from your like right. container, right? So even on, as a layman's term, so somebody who who again humanities major, you can't you you have to have something that you are taking or borrowing from. Absolutely, and that is right? that's right. That's that's fundamental you don't get to, to just say. Well, and but the thing is, is it's like, and again, writ large, you don't get to say like any argument can't be changed because you can all of a sudden pluck a magic card from something that doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. And I mean, because if you can do that, then all bets are off. Absolutely. Which is basically what that is. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. Yeah, so that's that is actually a hundred percent what it is, right? So this is from uh, this is from an article by uh, Massimo Pigliucci. Um, it's called "Nonsense on Stilts: How to Tell Science from Bunk." First of all, let's give it up for Massimo. Massimo Pretty awesome name. Gallucci right? is it a doctor, Doctor Massimo? Um, Doctor Pigliucci. It's he, so he, he Doctor Massimo Pigliucci. He says, "Quote." Harold Fudoff is the director of Austin's Institute for Advanced Studies, but is also a well-known parapsychologist and conducts research on so-called zero-point energy, the idea that one can extract energy from empty space. A proposition, I should add, that violates basic principles of thermodynamics and that is considered pseudoscience by credential physicists. Mm. Um, and that is, that, is, that is true, in fact. Um, so, uh, and this is true. So, uh, Maximo? We agree with you. So here's the thing. Though so those are the people, that is the person that is in charge of their science. Okay. At to the uh, stars. And here's the thing uh, too. Yes. It is not like they didn't have a body of accredited, well-known scientists to pull from. Because, as Marie said, a lot of the to the stars work is seemingly a continuation of the uh, Institute or, or what was it? The National Institute for Discovery Sciences or NIDS, NIDS. team that was working mm-hmm. at the Skinwalker Ranch with, uh, with Robert Bigelow. Allegedly. Now, why do we say that? Um, the reason. Hypothetically. The reason. Say it. Is that uh, To The Stars Academy lists all of those sciences on their team website. So, um, for instance, um, we have here. Uh, we have here Dr. Paul Rapp, Dr. Norm mm-hmm. Kahn, Dr. Colm Kelleher, who actually wrote the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, um, Dr. Adele Gilpin, and then they lost a scientist recently um, for some unknown reason. Yeah. Um, so, so again, the scientific credibility here is uh, unfortunately, I think, lacking because I think that I think that Mr. DeLong has his heart in the right place. Let's say that much. I think this guy, what do you think, Marie? I think this guy legitimately believes Uh, in UFOs. Yes. I think that he, I think that he is an enthusiastic believer, which is, it's a good and a bad thing. Right. It's not, well, I think, I think it, 
just just that. Like, I'm not even going to start to talk about any any opinion that I may have on his musical talent or his music in the past or Blink-182, because we've seen how discussing music on this podcast is worse than we cannot get back into it. It is more touchy than politics. <laughs> Y'all, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to people. I'm going to have to Chris. You're going to have to give me this. I'm going to have to, I really, so here's my thing with blink 182. I think if you listen to blink 182, when it came out and when you are, haven't necessarily been exposed to a lot of other music. It's really great, high energy. It's a definite sound. As soon as you start to like expand any other horizon, you kind of are like they're derivative. They're not as great as as you think they were. Like they made like, a lot of money because they made that that sound very popular. But that doesn't mean that 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 kind of uh, that that kind of music wasn't done better or wasn't existing before them. Like a lot of pop punk bands of the nineties, they oh, are God, they yeah. are essentially like you take they you take couldn't. you take they the couldn't. descendants, yeah. you mm. remove any of the hardcore Thank kind you. of edge, and you dip it Thank into like you. MTV pop sugar kind of stuff, oh. and you pull it out. And Marie, and I personally just, find it delicious. You just take away talent. Travis Barker's a great drummer. We can't get into this, Marie. So here's the other thing, though. I mean, if you want, like, if you're going to go pop, pop punk and you're like, OK, well, Green Day, Green Day, at least like I'm not a big Green Day fan either necessarily, but at least they ex- they have this this depth and scope of range that that they were able to achieve. And I I'm sorry, I have listened even before we started this, before we, you know, you were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to discuss this. I didn't look at, you know, zero point grab the zero point, nothing. I was like, okay, I'm going to re-listen to all of Enema of the People. <laughs> enema of the all State. Right? Enema of the State, Marie. Whatever. Good, right. Whatever. Like it, like it matters. Um, And I'm like, nah, nah, I can't even do that. It's that like, ah, but you know what? Do I think that Tom, that Mr. Dong is a, I think he's a fervent true believer. And I think, yes, his heart is in the right place, but I don't think studying, I'm going to make a very, another controversial statement that's probably going to get me in, in some trouble as well. I don't think heart is what you should be using in studying and applying science to anything that could be, um, extraterrestrial no like so, yes you should be passionate but your heart is only going to lie to you right i'm just uh, yeah I, yeah and it's link yeah. 182 sucked oh 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 all right we're, we're uh, sorry oh. i mean come on i they're not I, yeah seriously Listen, but you we, brought it up they're <laughs> just the descendants <laughs> It's a really good punk band. Zenits are significantly better. There's no doubt about and that, Marie. They ripped off them. They, they ripped sure them did. off. All right, we're we, we have to move past this before me and Marie get into a get into into some heated debate here about me. Although we don't disagree at all on this, actually, I'm just mm-hmm. playing devil's advocate now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's the uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, the the people that were listening to us are like, "Well, f that." <laughs> Dude, Rage is a masterpiece. Um, Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing with all this. So, two of the Stars Academy gets together. They have these, again, people that if you look into their backgrounds, at least from the science side, things start to fall apart a little bit. 
Um, mm -hmm. Any listeners who are involved in like intelligence or uh, the federal government in any way, if you want to chime in on this, you know, what do you think about Semivan? I would be fascinated to hear your take on it. Now, mm -hmm. what we do find though is uh, they have hit some, hit some snags. They have released a lot of videos and things that show well-known hoaxed videos or well-known hoaxed images. Um, even at official conferences, they are working with MUFON uh, relatively closely, just like Bigelow was. Uh, mm -hmm. Another kind of uh, very, uh, the UFO community does not take kindly to that necessarily. And uh, the other thing that's kind of been interesting is their work with what is known as Project Adam. Mm. Now, Project Adam is their supposed collection and analysis of materials that eyewitnesses claim come from crashed UFOs. <laughs> Got a couple of problems with that off the bat. First off, the, the idea of debris from one of these <laughs> ships has been a thing since the Roswell crash. Yeah. Right. That was one of the first things, right. was, you know, uh, the guy bringing the, bringing this, the aluminum foil like material home and showing it to his wife and kid. Right. And then the next day, the government coming and taking it all away and replacing it with, with weather balloon mm -hmm. debris. Mm -hmm. Um, in more recent times, some less than stellar individuals have come forward and said, I have UFO material and I think it's whatever. Right. So you have people like Linda Moulton, Howe. Um, you know, not a friend of the pod, you know, uh, coming forward <laughs> and saying no friend of pod, no coming friend forward of and saying we have, I have these materials. I need to get them tested, whatever. Uh, in theory, in theory, the people that to the stars Academy are pulling these materials from, or I hope to God, a little bit more verifiable than say the Linda Moulton house. Well, who so is yeah, best is, known for, yeah. for going on ancient oh, aliens and saying, you know, well, I was a, I was a reporter for 25 years and I've, I've kissed an alien, you know, I mean, never that exactly, but <laughs> essentially not. pretty much stories of the same caliber, but, um, oh. I'm salty. Continue Marie. Oh, no. So I think that's, so that's, so when we talk about like actually examining something that came from a ship, right? Like we've had other stuff fall from the sky. Meteors, yeah. right? We've we've gathered up things that have been in space and and have you know reviewed them and looked at them. I what I what I I've got two kind of two things that kind of go through my head again. Not not an expert in this, but one there's a wealth of science that could tell us if something is foreign or not foreign from things that have already been collected, mm -hmm. and two. To your point, the how it's being gathered and where it's coming from, it's like you can't just show up with something in a warehouse and say it's alien. Like you have to have an entire an entire um, timeline of like this is where you know like you can't ah you can't even say like you'd have to see it come from a ship, right? You'd have to see it come from something hit the ground. And even then, it's sort of like it's suspect because you don't know if what was flying was truly alien. Do you see what I mean? There's so many places to poke a hole in something like this. And by the way, Fugazi, Fugazi is a really good group. They're an amazing band. They ripped off Fugazi. 
All right. All right. I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back. <laughs> so, um. No FX? Do you remember No FX? Of course. Oh, bad religion? Okay, not so much bad religion, but somewhat. No, they, somewhat. They, they were a lot less serious than bad religion. They were a lot less serious, but they were they were seriously ripping on Fugazi. No, they absolutely were. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's rough. All right, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm it's fine. It's fine. I'm putting it down. <laughs> Just killing killing my uh, my teenage uh, lifestyle, Marie. Now, As well, I should if it was built up on that. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, Good God. Lord, I gotta make you a mixtape. <laughs> <gasps> now, uh, the. The big thing with these materials, so actually, uh, full disclosure, I wrote an article for Open Minds TV, um, which is run by a friend of the pod, Alejandro Rojas, uh, talking about that exact that exact scenario, basically, Marie. Hmm. So, um, Fugazi? Well, or well, actually no, <laughs> the uh, chain of command for the, the chain well, of uh, custody for so something the, like this. So the idea of does the chain of command matter, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, um, yeah. Essentially, no, see, so that's the thing. I don't necessarily think it really does. Um, there are a couple of, there are a couple of questions we have to pick apart. So if we think that we have a material from an alien ship, I would posit that there are three essentially, uh, smaller questions embedded in that larger one. Okay. That you have to answer in order to prove that it really came from space and, and not only from space, but from an alien civilization, Right. So the first, the first one is, is it composed of Earth-like materials or not? Mm-hmm. So is it from Earth or is it from space? The yeah. second one would be, does it appear to have been engineered or not? Right? That kind of gets to the root of the question of, is it intelligently designed or not to, to turn mm-hmm. you? And then the, the third question is, does it have properties or uh, is it, engineered in a way that is not possible on earth or unknown of currently to earth or so rare. Let's put it that way too. So rare that, you know, a, a, a farmer who brings this thing in to the, to the stars Academy, you know, group, mm. how did mm-hmm. this guy get, uh, you know, how did this guy eh. get a, a piece of material that had to be uh, shaky? That's shaky logic. Th- well, though. it's, it's very it's shaky. Sumptive. But, well, here's the thing, right? Mm hmm. If all three of those things are confirmed true, I think you have enough to say this is, I, I think that's enough to say that this is potentially from an alien ship, regardless so, of the chain of command. So what if, uh, what if I think it's chain of custody too. I don't, or I think oh, chain of custody, sorry, yeah, chain wrong. of custody, yeah. chain of custody. Yeah. Um, but I think. So let's pretend you were looking at a meteorite. Uh-huh. Okay, a meteorite came down. Would you be able and it's been here or what it lands, how could you identify that that was from space or not from space? So or you it was would, of earth or not of earth. So you would actually look at uh, first off you would look at the isotopes mm-hmm. of the material itself. Mm-hmm. Right? Um there are, are isotopes that are not possible to form on earth or that are present in such low um low abundance that they are unlikely to have come from earth just because of the way that our own kind of radioactive history has occurred. Right. Right. And would they, but would they be of, would they be a metal? Like, I mean, again, like, uh, so all elements, Mm -hmm. all elements can have isotopes. Mm -hmm. Um, it would likely be things like say, uh, let's say carbon, right? We might Mm -hmm. find that a meteorite has a carbon sample in it that is uh, older than the earth itself. That would hint that it didn't come from Earth, <laughs> right? Right. Um, 
it might it might have other elements with half lives that are so um, so intense that we can back out how how long ago it must have come from. And again, say, well, it didn't come from Earth. It didn't even come from this part of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. It must have come from some other part where a star exploded, you know, uh, millions of billions of years before the Earth formed or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, though and those questions are actually very well studied. Um, by the material science community because uh, meteorites are actually a very strong source of uh, rare or non-rare earth uh, magnets and other materials, mm-hmm. other, other components. Um, there are not only um, not only isotopes that don't necessarily exist on earth found in meteorites. There are also crystallographic phases. And what that literally means is um, so you know how like, so aluminum, oxide or silicone dioxide is can either be just silicon, right? Like a silicon disc. It can form into quartz. It can form into a, a, a ruby or other minerals or things like that. That is all based. Silicon's a bad example, but that is all based on the, the crystallographic structure of the material. So you can have very different properties mm-hmm. depending on the literally like the physical arrangement of atoms in a solid material. And there's absolutely no way to forge this. So here's the thing. There are, there are materials that we find in meteorites that are unknown of on earth currently that to forge them would require things like say, uh, you know, super fast annealing or uh, vapor layer atomic deposition or uh, all kinds of other very complicated synthetic means. Right. It's mm-hmm. not its own. It's not its own test. It's not. It's. It's not. It's not a smoking gun by any means, right? Because mm-hmm. again, what could always happen is, um, okay, this guy finds a piece of material that seems to have a crystal structure we don't understand or we we haven't seen yet on Earth or something. Could just be a meteorite, right? Right. It could just be. It could be a. It could be a ship that the government is flying. It could be refuse from a local. You know what I mean? Like it could be anything. Right. Right. That on its own is not necessarily enough. It could be that he's sitting on top of a, you know, as unlikely as it is, it could be that, you know, she or or he or whoever is sitting on top of a a natural source of this crystal that we have yet to discover just because it's so, you know, previously unknown to science. However, uh, what are the, you know, for a person who says, I saw a UFO drop this, or I saw a UFO crash and this came from it or whatever to have them then bring a material in that has an unknown crystal phase. That is, I think that's pretty significant regardless of the source of it. Well, yeah. I mean, it may be an unfair or not provable or lesser comparison, but I look at kind of uh, like art forgery. Mm-hmm. Like old master art forgery in some ways, like somebody, you know, again, like somebody brings in something that that has been can be tested, you know, X amount of ways till next Sunday and it it, it holds water and somehow it ends up being a forgery. And I'm just and again, it's it's it is a, maybe a pale comparison, but I think it's one nonetheless, like you are building in some assumptions like you're saying, well, Somebody who brings this in who says this only adds to the credence of the legitimacy of it. But that's not necessarily the case if that person is 
is like rounding that into the equation of what they're trying to sell. Right. Okay. So what so what I'm saying is let's take for example a polymer, right? Mm-hmm. If if we were to find a piece of a material from a UFO, I think the most likely I, I think you'd agree with me. I think the most likely place that we would expect I don't know to, if this Blink 182 thing has me <laughs> a bit rattled, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. I oh, sorry, keep going. A polymer. Think, we're on polymers. I think the on most polymers. likely piece okay. of uh you can think. The, the piece of the material that is the most exposed to the surface of the earth is the outer casing, correct? Yeah. Uh. So if that thing is traveling through space, it probably has, uh, it probably has shielding from heat, from uh, radiation. It probably mm-hmm. has uh, different coatings and things like it could have all kinds of different interesting materials on the outer surface of the, sh- of the ship itself. Uh, let's take a plastic. If we found that there was a plastic there that contains oligomer chains that we currently don't make on earth right you know that i think takes a level of forgery that is that would be very intense or we just have to test that way that's the thing it doesn't have to do it it just has to test it right right well that's the outcome has to say it is such not that it has to be such the outcome has to say it's such absolutely but i guess what i'm saying is just like with the art forgery right yeah someone who's skilled enough to forge a master artist's painting Mm -hmm. should probably just be making paintings on their own right but that's yeah well and that's and it's the same yeah it's the same thing here with this right where Mm -hmm. it's um if this if this person is a is a chemical you know, a material science genius enough to be able to generate this, this, uh, you know, nano structured material in their garage or something, you know, forget, forget selling fake alien materials to Tom DeLong, get him a job at DuPont. You know what I mean? Like it, well, it's yes. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And maybe the art forgery thing was not as, you know, I know that that's a huge stretch, but I'm just saying like, what, what fools what fools a lot of people in that in that field i think is that it doesn't it doesn't have to be that thing as long as the results say it's that thing well so that's you're just looking straight at the results but you're saying there's a lot of ways to get to those results that aren't exactly that just are exploiting um that are exploiting weaknesses within the actual test itself yeah. So what I'm yeah. So right. what I'm what I'm kind of saying too is I guess because I I do agree with you right mm-hmm. that forgery that art mm-hmm. forgery would would likely trick like if if you showed me a painting one of which was a forgery and one of which was the real thing mm-hmm. I I bet I could not pick the different you know what I mean like I bet I wouldn't pick the right one not not better than chance right um I, I bet I would not be able to tell the difference and I bet that a member of the general public if they were presented with test data from a real unknown material and a fake one, right. Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like they are, or mm-hmm. let me say this way. The general public doesn't know what to look for in a scientific test of a material to tell the difference between a good test that really does show that there's something interesting here oh, versus a okay. fake one. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what the article I wrote goes into a bit is, mm. Okay. This is the testing that I think a, a scientific board would do to get to that point. Cause, cause your point is completely valid, right? A lot of the public already, it doesn't matter to them whether or not these materials show up to actually be 
you know, anything interesting, right? These could all end up being, you know, normal dirt, normal glass, normal metal, right? It could just be, they could just be regular, you know, regular old samples, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, but the public to the public that doesn't matter because it, it, they have a couple of scientific sounding people running what sounds like good tests, even though they're, you know, 50 years, uh, 50 years too late on being cutting edge tests, you know, um, I've kind of, I've kind of mm-hmm. taken to likening. So the tests that to the stars have suggested that they will do include a standard microscopy with just a normal microscope, uh, x-ray fluorescence for elemental analysis. Um, and or, or other elemental analysis techniques mm-hmm. and then isotope analysis. That is enough potentially to tell them if the material is from space or not. But that is not enough to even get them close to answering that ultimate question of, say, you know, is it really an engineered material yeah. from a spaceship or something? Right. Interesting. Okay. So it's I think to use your analogy again, Marie, it would be like. They are doing the bare minimum to make it look like a masterpiece, right? Um, they're, you know, they're kind of getting it right, but the brush, you know, the brush strokes are all wrong or the type of paint they're using is wrong or the canvas material or whatever, right? The things that the public doesn't know to look for, but a scientist does, those are the things that are really starting to fall apart here. So it's a, it's a really interesting story. And we haven't even gotten into what I think is the most interesting part of it, Marie. Oh, my God. The fact that Blink-182 gave us uh, bands like, uh, what's the one that I absolutely hate? Oh, uh, Fall Out Boy? <laughs> no. Because uh, they did. That okay, is a direct correlative did. effect, my they friend. They did, and that is that is a big X against them in my book. You know what's funny, actually? Yeah, Katie as well made, as should be. Katie, uh-huh. made a, uh, Katie made a playlist called uh, Semi-Ironic. Mm-hmm. And it was all supposed to be like songs that like you cringe listening to now as an adult songs that uh-huh. like, frankly, Katie and I cringed listening to when we were kids. Um, but like, yeah, it's got like fallout boy and like my chemical romance and, you know, blink 182 oh, and whatever. Good Charlotte. Good. Char- oh, no, oh. no, we can't. We know we didn't sink that low. Um, oh. But it, it has. Yeah. It, I was listening to it and she played. It had Jimmy Eat World on there. Oh, and I was like, Katie, that is, that, I was like, that is a personal attack on me and Jimmy I will not stand World, for I it. I would exclude from that. I Jimmy World is great. That. Jimmy World is actually a much better band. Oh my goodness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so now tell me now, what was the part that we haven't even got to before I, before I, again, I keep trying to let it go, man. I am trying. <laughs> Dear listeners, I am trying. It's so hard. It's so, so what's the part that they, uh. Yeah, what what have we had? Because we haven't even touched on like what do they have in some warehouse out there if it's being well, guarded by? The, the, I think the, carrying Uzis and stuff like that. <laughs> the like, most fascinating thing, the finances. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh dear God! Well, yeah, forget about like you want to talk about falsifying stuff. No, I mean it's not like they're faking stuff. And if you have listened to our, we did a we did an entire thing on their finances when they, um. When they put forward, or there was a an we're, article we're actually, that came out. We're actually going to release that as a second to this episode. This week. Excellent. Excellent. Because that kind of gets into it. And again, it's just, it's, I I, I think it, what's what's hard is it's, it is very, it's very, um, they're very ambitious. And what they're trying to do is very ambitious. But 
it's also um it's also really like there's there there's their finances are a little are a little shaky with this type of thing. So the thing is that again, as as we keep hinting to, they appear to be vi- with with Mr. DeLong at the head of this kind of group, mm-hmm. he appears to be funding it almost entirely by himself. Yeah. Which absolutely yeah. which is uh which kind of sucks in my in my view just because i think again it is um someone falling for that uh, lab coat kind of fallacy right they think that um they're just because someone is a phd doesn't mean you should give them 300 million dollars to investigate ufos no so. and i think i think Again, like wherever they found, wherever they found this, this, um, and sorry, 300,000, not 300 million, 300, 300, still shouldn't give them 300,000, should give them 300. No. And I think again, if you talk about outside influences from other organizations or other individuals that have been predominantly talked about within this field, you know, I don't see, I see it as like, it's almost predatory. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that, um, Bigelow Aerospace is or any of the corporations associated with that are running and are are going to play nice in any sandbox. So there's no there's nothing coming from anywhere else that's I don't want to say I don't like accredited but or any place that would have this information that's going to that's going to just turn something like this over. Well that's like, you know and that's that's yeah, I, I don't know science, but I think I could prove that pretty succinctly. Well, the thing the thing that really I think is fascinating with a lot of this is that's one question no one is asking because everyone assumes that it is so mm-hmm. out of the realm of possibility <laughs> that right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. serious people are not at home right now wondering, oh, my God, what if to the stars Academy reverse engineers time space continuum bending technology and you know Tom DeLong goes back in time and shoots Hitler right like <laughs> no you know no one is seriously <gasps> me, you know no Option one is seriously that. that's that's on Fox oh that's great that's gonna be you know that's like Netflix you can get Netflix to buy in on that super easy Marie if it was on Fox they would not be going after Hitler um that's oh yeah, the, uh, ladies and gentlemen just remember this was the podcast that I defamed Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, the, uh, the problem with a lot of this is, okay, it's ridiculous. It probably won't happen whenever. What, what if they did? What if, what if Tom DeLonge and his band of misfits mm-hmm. gets a hold of a piece of alien material? I am of the opinion that UFOs, not all UFO sightings are hoaxes. Mm-hmm. I think some of them are potentially genuine. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, there is a slim possibility that a UFO ship might crash land someplace and someone gets a piece of it before the government shows up. Well, it's not going to be if to answer your question, what would happen? He won't have it for very long. He won't well, so, have it because there's no way that there's there's no way that he would retain that piece for, for more than 24 hours tops. See, but here's the thing, right? Is uh-huh. if he would never get it in the first place, in if my they, opinion, if they found a material like that, if they okay. did, right. Yeah. Should a group like to the stars Academy be allowed to patent and sell 
technology gained from a ship they just find. Well, if they are if they are clever enough to be able to truly identify it as such and prove it as such, then yes. But there's just there's just other entities out there that are much more advanced at finding these finding things that are anomalies and identifying them and 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 sequestering them than uh to the stars academy like honestly there's just like i would say that it's 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 almost moot it's because there's no way there's no way it would happen there's no way he would get something like that see but that's i a, think go that's ahead a, no no i i was no 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 go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead I was just going to say, I think that, again, that is giving the government way too much credit. Oh, I'm not talking about the government, my man. Woo, oh, you're talking time. About, oh, you're no. talking about the aliens. No, 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 no. I am talking about, like, I'm talking about other other and other private private commercial entities oh, that are out you're, there. Oh, okay, okay. You're talking, like, you're talking like Boeing. Sense, I'm talking like Boeing. Like, I'm talking, well, okay. yeah, I'm talking about, well, so you've got them, but I'm also talking about Bigelow. <laughs> sure, ha- sure. Okay. Halliburton, well, yeah, oh, God, yeah. But, I mean, there's just other, because whether it's alien or it's not alien, if if something is going to be profitable, there is a huge amount of people out there, but that's 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 the chum in the water for a shark. And I know mm-hmm. I might sound a little conspiratorial putting this out, but... Like seriously, if it's if it's about money, if it's about patents, if it's about future anything, then there's a lot of people out there with a lot more, with a deep bench of of scientists and other and lawyers that are really much better than anybody that is listed on Mr. DeLong's website. Sure. No offense to who he has. No, absolutely. Well, that, yeah, you know? that's that's very interesting. So. And that's yeah. like that's forget the government. I mean, the government, yes, the government would probably be the second f- crossing that finish line. But the people that would take that stuff that would literally be able to get to it quicker than him, that have identified it quicker than him, that would know where it would that would even know where it would come from quicker than than him is is I think is our yeah. There's just no way. Well, it makes it makes me wonder about say, you know, other countries that you know when a when a helicopter gets you know when a helicopter is downed right Mm -hmm. um during a military engagement or something or just a routine thing or whatever um one of the first things that the troops are told to do is to destroy it if it can't be uh you know salvaged if they can't if they can't repair it blow it up get rid of it yes right because they don't want other countries to get the technology that we have exactly Um, i think it's ludicrous to think that you know Again, right? If there's a race of uh, beings able to get here or something, then I mm-hmm. think they would be smart enough to know, uh, you know, we crash, we got to destroy the thing, right? Or on top of that, even more, even more so than that, let's say, you know, um, why do we think it would ever crash, <laughs> right? Like, you know, um, we're talking about <laughs> driverless cars and point. things, right? It's it's just, it, I think it's really Those interesting. Are crashing. Well, sure, but that's because uh, you know, it's because Google's AI isn't that good. But um, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting, and I think that it's a question again. We're not seriously asking it, but I think from like a from a futurism kind of standpoint, right? It it brings mm-hmm. in it. You know, to me, it reminds me of, and this is what this whole thing has always has reminded me of since the beginning, is the Wayland Corporation from the Alien franchise. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Where, you know, they're the first ones to discover, you know, that you can have to travel through space. And so they become this, like, mega super corporation. That, I mean, you you read the the the, the stuff, the disclosures and everything. That's basically what DeLong is proposing. And uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a very serious question we have to ask ourselves, you know. Yeah. No but one's taking it seriously, it, but if you what, can what read if it, it on the web? But if you can read it on the web, he's not the threat. The threat is that it's already happened, right? Like the threat right. is that that will happen without our knowledge of it regardless. And you know, that they've, that they've already like, just sort of like, I, again, a out of the blue comparison, but like, um, medical device or medical companies that are uh, patenting the human genome, parts of the human genome, mm-hmm. right? That's like, they're already building out things that maybe they have no, no wherewithal to even be playing in. But that doesn't mean that that hasn't already happened, that we have no idea about it. We won't know about it until we see it on a billboard. But it's sort of like, I, I do think that the, that the Whalen Corporation analogy is is apt and i don't i just i think that i, I don't know again like i i feel like it, with to the stars academy there's just there's much more hope and much more um i, I mean maybe the maybe maybe this is it maybe the mistrust i have is because it is such a or not mistrust but i don't not, and I, condescension is a really heavy word but maybe it's just sort of like this sort of like oh they don't stand a uh, you know, this is why this is this is doomed for failures because they are so transparent or they are so like, hey, we really want to do this and we think that this is important and valid and we're one of the first commercial enterprises to actually say say it as such. Right. right? And, I th- and I think part of the part of the thing that they're fighting against, part of the headwind they're fighting against is Bigelow did such a bad job of it. Right. You know, when oh, even when even the depends U- on what his objective was. Sure, sure, right? sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like when even the when even the UFO community is like turning away your money, that's bad. You did bad. You know, um, with yes. De- with DeLong, I think the challenge or the headwind that he's facing is, you know, again, I personally think he has made some missteps in the recruitment of his people. Um, but also, I think, too, on top of that, uh, the it's again, just like you're saying, right? If there's a reason that Microsoft or these other tremendously huge companies that have really discovered world changing technology, there's a reason you didn't hear about them until they had something to sell, Mm -hmm. right? Like Microsoft, you know, wasn't spending most of its money on, on ad campaigns and things before it had a working PC. True. And it's the same, you know, and it's the same thing with any other big company, right? I mean, you don't hear about them until they have something worth investing in. With To the Stars Academy, it's been almost the complete opposite. You're they're asking for people to fund them or to invest or to become involved or whatever, so that they can make documentaries about them trying to find something worth selling. You know, it's it's yes. almost an ingenious media uh turn you know, turn on its head, right? It's uh it's it's almost genius in in that regard, but it is it is not I don't think a serious scientific endeavor. I don't I don't think anyone can make that claim anymore. You know, it's uh, it is essentially well, yeah. I think a media empire, and it's. Yeah. I hope I get we at least get some good documentaries out of it. But 
Who knows? Well, I do think, yeah, to your point, if it was, if it's about entertainment and about furthering, uh, furthering a media empire, then he is pretty smart. Like it could just be yeah. a whole end game. And he's like, I'm going to, you know, use this entire, this entire UFO thing to sell more yada, yada. But I don't, you know, to your point, he seems much more, much more earnest and much more invested than that, which is, which to me, it's like, it's almost even worse. Cause it's like, you, it's probably the, he's, you know, then it's just someone with a lot of money being taken advantage of. Yes. And it's like, ah, it does. And it's like, you don't have to put down a lot of money to be doing this type of stuff. I mean, again, like you could probably start with a lot more of an earnest effort, but you, if you listen to certain people or if you're led down the garden path on, on something like that, I could see how that would happen. No, MUFON's, MUFON's yearly budget is essentially money for sweatpants and buckets of chicken. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's operating expenses covered right there. So Not that that's cheap. Not that that's cheap, my friend. And Confederate flags. That's it. <gasps> All right, dear listeners. Thank you for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Woo! Chris Cogswell. Here with my and- co-host, Marie Mayhew. And panic at the disco. They kind of they're okay, oh, but they kind of suck too. But that's God. you know that's this is what you got coming out of coming out of this stuff, people. Pan- so okay, panic yeah. at the disco. I mm-hmm. hated, oh, and then I heard I heard mm-hmm. they had a cover of Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins, my all time favorite band. Mm-hmm. I was super excited, mm-hmm. so I listened to it. It was okay, but man. It's- it's not Smashing Pumpkins. It man. is embarrassing That's... to listen to Panic of the Disco as an adult. So, yeah. And I think if we have one takeaway, if we have one thing that we as a community can come together on, Blink-182 really is not that good. No. You want better punk? Uh, listen to uh, oh. The Descendants. Listen Fugazi. To, listen to Fugazi. Listen to Choking no Victims. Listen to No Effects. Listen to... Uh, oh, I want to say, God. oh, God. I know, I know. I'm just leftover like, crack. Listen, oh, so many, so many good bands. All right, dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell. We'll be back next week with another episode. This time on Tahoe Tessie, a lake monster in uh, Lake Tahoe, named after, <laughs> not named after the <laughs> astonishing <laughs> legends head researcher, but uh, you know, yes, maybe it is. we can start that's, that rumor. Maybe that's, that's you know what. That's what I'm going with. That's my store, and I'm sticking to it. Looking forward to it. All right, dear listeners. Hope you had a wonderful Halloween. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. Night. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mad Scientist Pod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woohoo! 
And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.